Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts about nutrition, physical health, mental health, and my five-minute food facts series, short episodes where I discuss a nutrition-related topic. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host. I'm a lawyer turned nutritionist, and I'm on a quest to learn as much as I possibly can about living a healthy, active, and fulfilling life which I would call a vibrant life, and sharing what I learn with you here on this podcast. The health and nutrition space can be a confusing one, as most of you know, where information and misinformation abound. And identifying reliable, trustworthy sources of information is not always straightforward. My aim is to help you do that by speaking with knowledgeable guests who can explain their area of expertise in an accessible way and provide you with practical tips that you can use to improve your own well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I'll quickly acknowledge that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat or prevent medical conditions, and it's never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with Sandra Lane. Sandra is a professional organiser, a productivity specialist, a speaker and founder of Organisation Lane, her company, which she'll speak to in this episode. I came across Sandra when I watched her excellent TED talk about the real cost of clutter. So today we'll discuss the skill of organisation, clutter, how it impacts us and tips on dealing with it and productivity. I think and hope that this is going to be a really useful episode for many of you. Clutter is one of those things that can just kind of sneak up on you and then all of a sudden it's there and there are so many barriers to dealing with it. So today Sandra is going to give us some pointers on how to overcome that. Today I am here with Sandra Lane of Organisation Lane and Sandra I'm really thrilled for us to be having this discussion today. So welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast. Thank you, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be here. So I thought I'd start the episode, as I normally do, with some quick-fire questions to get to know a little bit about you outside your work mm-hmm. as a professional organiser, productivity specialist, speaker, and consultant. So, Sandra, where did you grow up? In the state of New Jersey, in the United States. Is that... That's on the East Coast, right? It is. Yeah, yes, right. it is. It's, it's, it's right next to New York. That's what right I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your favorite form of exercise? I was a runner for years, but um, I have um, now enjoyed walking a slower pace. So I walk. And do you do that um, around the streets or do you like going into the countryside or a bit of both? A little bit of both. I do have a dog, so that's also my motivation to get out and walk. Yeah, brilliant. And mm-hmm. your go-to meal for dinner, say it's a weeknight and you're cooking for mm-hmm. um, your family or... Salad. It's salad. always a salad and not just a green salad of tomatoes and lettuce. I like to really beef it up so it becomes a meal with some beans and seeds and cheese and... Yeah. Yum. Mm. So it's quite substantial then. It 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 fills you up. It's not just like a few um, sad-looking lettuce leaves in a bowl. (laughs) No, it has to be appealing for my husband to eat, so we've got to put some stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, that sounds delicious. And are you enjoying listening to anything at the moment? It could be music, an audio book, podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I like Hidden Brain 
Hidden Brain podcast. Okay, great. Yes. Mm -hmm. I get some really great uh, podcast tips from my guests and I love listening to what people, what interests people. And so many people listen to podcasts that are related to the brain and how the brain works, which is obviously mm-hmm. something you're very interested in. And your favorite holiday destination? I would say the beach. Anything with water that it soothes me. So, have you beach. ever been to mm-hmm. Australia? I have not. Because we have, have wonderful not. beaches here. It is a long way to come, though. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm really interested to hear how you came to be a professional organiser and productivity specialist because it's not Mm -hmm. something you can go to university and study. Mm -hmm. You graduated from college with a degree in business and then you worked. So what was your career at that time? Right. I graduated with a degree in business and uh, started off in sales. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple of jobs um, that were sales, outside sales oriented Uh, I had an office at home. I didn't report to an office. So I was already in my mind, I didn't think about this at the time, but I was already establishing some systems of administration and paper management all on my own. And um, that career lasted about 12 years uh, when I graduated from college until I started to have kids. And I enjoyed that work. I had three different Companies I worked for and three different territories that I covered, oh, uh, New Jersey, New York, and uh, the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area after I got married. And I loved that. Yeah, I love that. It was a great opportunity for me to um, learn in skills in communication and relationship building. And um, I like to joke around in New York. I really built my skill of parallel parking uh, because you need to know how to do that yeah. when you are in New York. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. I, I'm, I've been to New York several times, but I've never driven a car in New York. I think that just looks scary to me. I guess it, you get it's used very to it. aggressive. Yes. It's a very aggressive. You really have to be on the defense mode when you're driving in New York and sharing the road with those cab drivers. And um, following that sales career that I had, I, you know, uh, became a mom and enjoyed that time as well. Yeah. And And so um, when you became a mom, you, um, I believe you went into part-time work. So how did you find juggling work and being a mother? Mm -hmm. I um, struggled a little bit in the beginning. Um, There was some juggling But uh, once I started to equalize and um, really uh, accept good enough Mm -hmm. on a lot of different levels, yes, I was able to really enjoy the ride. And uh, when it came to working and um, leaving my kids, uh, there was some guilt involved, which I think think a lot of parents maybe go through that when they they know they need to do this or want to do this but then guilty tearing themselves away from their kids again once I realized that that time away was good for me it made me even a better mom when I returned um, I really started to enjoy my work and enjoy motherhood even more yeah, that's great. I, I had a very similar experience. I went back to part-time work after having children and, and I can totally relate to those feelings of guilt. Mm-hmm. But 
I think having that time away, having your own identity as a, you know, no one cares whose mother you are when you're at work. It, it's quite important, you know, that you don't get it. You can get, I think, completely consumed by motherhood. And it's nice to have an outlet if you can. Agreed. Agreed. And, but, you know, when you're a first time mother, I don't think you see that. No, it's very hard to see. I mean, looking back now, you know, we can look back on those times and think it was the right thing to do. But, yeah, it's hard at the time. It's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, this little creature's totally dependent on you. Mm -hmm. So then what led you to decide to set up your own business, Organisation Lane? So my kids were, let me think about this, 11 and 14 at the time. I have two, a boy and a girl, and they're three years apart. And... I was no longer working part-time. I was uh, immersing myself in volunteer work wherever my kids were involved, whether mm -hmm. it was a sports team, a band, you know, and in church. And as they got older, they needed me a little less because they were becoming more self-sufficient. Yes. Thank goodness. And uh, the volunteer opportunities around them mm. were diminishing. And I found myself with more and more free time. And I thought, hmm, what could I do with this free time? This is my own choice. I get to do whatever yeah. I want. And what will that be? And I'm a very faithful person. So I put a lot of a prayer into this mm -hmm. and thought about what comes easy and natural to me. And perhaps I could also combine that with my own business acumen that I got from college. And that's when HGTV was just really booming uh, 10, 12 years ago. And those organizing shows were everywhere. And I oh, thought, right. you know, is it possible to make this a business? Could you survive and thrive on this kind of a business? It just seems so, I don't know, do people really need this work? I, I was really doubting myself that this could potentially be a business. But I thought, you know, if if this is meant to be, it will be. Yeah, so I'm going, to, yeah, I'm going to invest very little of myself financially, emotionally, and just see what happens. You know, I didn't want to put myself in a hole where I spent a lot of money or yeah. time in creating this business. And it turned out to be a bit of a flop, but it ten, it flourished. I found that there was a need, uh, a very great need. And, and that's when I was introduced to the whole concept of stuff and what we own, because yeah. I've never had a lot of stuff. Uh, it, I just, I just grew up with just what we needed and we didn't collect mm. in my home. And, and I, I think took a lot of those habits when I created my own home. But once I started to expose myself, develop my business and expose myself to people that I worked with, and I found that they were really struggling with stuff and could use some guidance and partnership in getting through it and deciding what to keep and what to let go of yeah. and helping them get there, then I realized I'm on to something here. And then, of course, I joined an organization that helped supported the business and I had wonderful mentors in this organization. It's called NAPO, N-A-P-O, mm -hmm. the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. That's and, amazing uh, that that even yeah. exists, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. 
<laughs> I know. And, but that organization was instrumental in not only, you know, tethering me to a group of others who do what I was trying to do, but it also affirmed, uh, um, it also uh, offered me the opportunity for education to yes. get better and develop confidence in what I was doing so that I could mm. help my clients in turn. What's What really strikes me about what you just said that is so interesting is that probably a lot of things that you almost took for granted, like not having a lot of clutter around, you maybe just thought that was how things were until you were exposed to, you know, different people who perhaps didn't grow up in a household like yours and struggled with things that came to you quite naturally. Mm-hmm. So... I just wanted to ask you then, and I think we've kind of answered this question, but I'd like to sort of hear it spelled out, is is organisation that is a skill that can be taught and learned? I believe, yes. Yes. I, do. I mean, that's one of the foundations of your business. So, Absolutely. I do believe that. Uh, I, I don't know if I was necessarily born with this, mm-hmm. but I was certainly influenced by the environment I was around. My my parents were organized people. Yes. Um, I always remember each of them keeping lists. And my dad had a workshop. He was a carpenter by trade. He had a workshop in the garage that was very organized long before Home Depot and the container store yeah. ever existed. But he found his own way to organize his screws, nuts, bolts, mm. etc. And, you know, created zones in the garage for certain kinds of wood and used the um, ceiling. So he was, uh, you know, vertically storing items as well. Um, That influenced me considerably in terms of how I managed my stuff, my homework, my clothes, you know, and then onward from there, college and my own life. So in terms of environment, then, do people um, that perhaps don't grow up like you did with organized parents does that impact then their ability, do you think, to be organized themselves if they haven't had that role modeling? I think it could go either way, honestly. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I think it could go either way. There are some people that uh, grow up in a home where hoarding behaviors exist and they could go the exact opposite. Yeah, they didn't like it. Of so. Not having anything because they are just not comfortable in that environment. So I think that they could either learn those behaviors or learn what not to do from that environment. I think you're absolutely correct because, as you know, having children, I have three, I would call myself quite an organised person. I like lists and that kind of thing. And I have two very neat children who like lists and being organised and one incredibly messy child and I just don't know how she can bear it. (laughs) Her room's a mess, but, you know... I, I, I'm, she's too old for me to go and tidy it up now, so I just close the door. <laughs> That's right. Pick your battles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you mentioned clutter before. I came across you when I watched a TED Talk you gave, and it was all about clutter. It was called The Real Cost of Clutter, and I absolutely loved it. So that's why I reached out and asked if you'd like to come on the podcast. One thing that hinders people being more organized is clutter, So what is meant by clutter? Generally speaking, clutter is our stuff that is messy and disorganized, and it creates disorder 
Mm. And then what follows are, you know, lots of mishaps because of the excess of disorder that we have in our space. Do you think people have different tolerance levels for clutter? So you might see something and think that looks cluttered, but someone else might think it looks quite neat and organized? Yes, I absolutely do. You know, uh, okay, so here's an example to illustrate. Uh, a room, a bedroom full of piles of clothes that have been worn all week, uh, a few books and a glass on the nightstand. Somebody might walk into that space and say, you know what, this is too cluttered. I can't sleep here. I can't rest here. Mm. But for my daughter, that works for her, right? Yeah. You know? And my daughter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yes, I do believe that there are tolerances. And you know what I also learned in the years of, of working as a professional organizer is that people uh, view themselves differently in terms of their clutter. You know, oftentimes a call with a client begins with getting an understanding of what they are seeing as a yeah. challenge in their space. And that description will come off through the call. Mm -hmm. And then that call will be followed with an in-home visit. And sometimes it's not exactly as they described. You know, they may be seeing it worse than what they're describing, oh, or it may actually be worse than what they're describing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but of course, you don't allude to that when you are visiting them, right? Everybody is has got their own level of and I, and I guess um, what they think. From your point of view, you must have to adapt um, because what you think would be the perfect solution may not be quite right for a client. So you have to find sort of their level. Is that right? Oh, absolutely, Amanda. You know, uh, the only way that a client is going to be able to sustain and maintain any of the work that the two of you do together, the organizer and the client, is that it's at a level that they can sustain. Yeah. So you really yeah. need to meet them where they are, mm. you know, yeah, that makes and perfect that, and that sense. comes out during the work process, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is it then about us humans that drives us to accumulate so much stuff? Why do we do it? <laughs> you know what, that is a question with many layers of an answer, right? It was it was the, the bulk of a lot of what was shared in that TED Talk. So yes. um, I think shopping is a huge catalyst for, for clutter. Uh, and we shop for a lot of reasons. You know, we shop as a form of therapy. We uh, shop uh, because we want to provide gifts mm -hmm. uh, to give to others and it makes us feel good or uh, makes them feel good. We shop to save money. We shop because it's so easy. You just have yeah. to point and click. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, it, and it's there, right? But, you know, what I like to put out there is, you know, asking ourselves, do we really, really need it? Right. And the accumulation of our stuff goes beyond shopping, right? We may acquire stuff from friends and family, bags mm. of clothes, um, heirlooms, family heirlooms. Yeah. We may be hanging on to items because they uh, have a memory attached to them or the memory of a person attached to those mm. items. So those sentimental items are often um, a cause for the clutter that we keep or accumulate so yeah there's there's lots of reasons why we it's just making me laugh because my <laughs> husband and I have this ongoing issue that when he was 14 in his woodwork class at the school he built a desk 
and we always laughed because he was given a, a grade of B plus. So it's like, you know, good, but not brilliant for this desk. Mm -hmm. So we call it the B plus desk. And I look at it and think, oh, can't we get rid of that clunky old desk? But he's so attached to it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think our marriage would survive getting rid of that desk. But that's an example of something that you're attached to in a sentimental way. Right, exactly. That's an excellent example. Man. It's established that a lot of us, not all of us, you obviously don't accumulate a lot of stuff, but people accumulate a lot of stuff. And how does that impact us personally and also the environment? So first, I just want to say that I do accumulate stuff, but I am conscientious of it. Okay. <laughs> I am not immune to collecting. Believe me, I have a drawer of shame in my house. Every <laughs> once in a while, it needs it needs to get looked at. Um, I am not perfect by any means. Um, when it comes to the impact that it makes, I know I feel that and it's time to give some attention to either a closet or a drawer. Mm. So um, some of the impact that I have uh, I know of and have seen in clients is that it is a distraction to us sure. on many levels. It's a visual distraction and it makes it hard to focus because it's a consistent reminder. We see that pile, we see that clutter, and it is a consistent reminder that we need to work on it or we need to work on ourselves, right? It brings on feelings of guilt or shame or embarrassment yeah. um, because our home is just so disorganized and untidy, we can't bring people in, right? It's a, um, it impacts our um, sleep uh, at, because of the stress and anxiety yeah. that is caused by the clutter, right? And if you are stressed and so focused on the clutter, you're not really paying attention to other things that could be of importance to you, like taking care of yourself, right? Working yes. out um, or taking care of your kids. Or, you know, if you have a home-based business, it just becomes consuming. Yeah, I think consuming is a good word for it because it's daunting, isn't it, when you see a lot of clutter around you and it's, it's like physical clutter sort of equals mental clutter in the mind. And, and also in terms of the environment, uh, just you know, too much stuff, too much waste. It's not good. Right. Yes, it definitely has. Uh, in summation, it has a negative impact on our our bodies physically as well as mentally. So. Yes. So if we know that, if we know that it's good to declutter and not live with a whole lot of mess and too many things, then why is it that people often put off decluttering it? Or what are some of the barriers, in other words, to decluttering? Well, if you are sharing a home with others that don't have the same values or mindset around clutter as you, you are likely working on this clutter alone. Mm, okay, that's and a good point. Doing it alone can be very daunting, mm. especially if there's quite a bit. And you're also not getting their support as you go through this process. Even if you decide to do it alone, you're going through this process and you're kind of swimming upstream. You know, they're not in support of what you want to do and uh, following suit themselves. So, you know, it's like you're 
you're, you're making progress, but you know, everybody else in the household doesn't quite feel the same way. So you don't have that support around you in the home. And if you live alone, um, you know, you want to do this, uh, you could always get support from an individual outside of the home to keep things yes. objective and keep you focused and get you working. You know, either a friend or a professional organizer can certainly help you. Another reason that I think there's a barrier, uh, I would have to say, is procrastination, right? Yeah. You know, this is something that you may commit to wanting to do. It's a goal of yours, but it's not pleasant for a lot of people. So we will find something else to do instead. And we put yeah. it off. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's um, probably a, a big barrier for many people. Mm -hmm. So if, if someone has decided and they're committed to decluttering, mm -hmm. where's a good place to start? Can you give us a few tips for people that might be listening and think, okay, I'd like to start the process? What are some of the first things people can do? Sure. So first of all, I think it's very important that uh, you give yourself some grace. Um, when you look at all of the clutter that you have, it can be very overwhelming and um, a very daunting task. So I think it's very important to start small okay. because any small step is progress. So I, I always like to tell people to start with one drawer or one shelf or just one closet and celebrate the win of completing that one drawer, one shelf, one closet, because it is a step in the direction that you want to go in, right? And work in small blocks of time, right? right. Maybe mm -hmm. a couple of hours a day rather than trying to dedicate an entire weekend to take care of your whole house. You know, yeah. sometimes that's a very unreasonable goal, right? You didn't acquire this clutter overnight. You're certainly not going to get rid of it overnight. And um, anything that you are decluttering will typically go through these three action steps. Mm -hmm. You will sort through it. You will make decisions. And you will organize what's left. Yes. Right? You will go through each, each one of those steps and then... When you're making decisions, you will have the same kinds of piles. This is a kind of a rinse and repeat for anything, whether it's paper, clothes, shoes, kitchen gadgets, etc. Each pile, when you're deciding, will be something that you will continue to keep or you will relocate it elsewhere in your house because it no longer belongs here. It belongs way over here. Or you will donate it. Yes. Give it to yes. a friend, a charity, et cetera, or perhaps it's garbage and you need yeah. to just trash it. Yeah, that's a good process. Would you suggest that people might potentially draw up a little plan like this week on Monday, I'm going to do, you know, two kitchen drawers and then that kind of thing, just so sort of small steps at a time? Absolutely. That written plan or dates, appointments in your calendar will certainly keep you more committed than just keeping the idea in your head. Mm. Oh, yeah, this week, I'm going to work on a couple of drawers. Well, if it's still in your head, it's just an idea, yes. you know, get closer to getting that goal completed by writing it down, and being able to cross it off at the end of the day or at the end of the week that you did, in fact, complete those two drawers. 
And do you find uh, working with clients who do this, once they actually start the process, they gain some kind of momentum? In fact, they start perhaps enjoying the results and how they feel. So it sort of becomes um, easier as they go. Most definitely. Most definitely. That's why I suggest starting small, because once you feel the gratification, the lightning of that burden of, I mean, it's literally physically feels like weight is being lifted off of your shoulders when you work one section at a time. And you're right. That is what drives you to continue that work. You enjoy that feeling feeling. Mm. and you want to continue that momentum. You will move to the next area. Sandra, once you've been working with your clients for a while and they've got into the swing of decluttering, uh, what are some of the advantages that you've seen and some things that your clients have said to you about Mm -hmm. it? So um, I have had clients express to me not only gratitude that they can finally find what they're looking for because it's a lot easier. They're not wasting time looking for things. They are more productive at work. They get dressed faster because they have less clutter in their Mm -hmm. closet. But I've even had a client attribute weight loss to the fact that we've worked together because our work, part of it was unearthing her treadmill, which was (laughs) buried, which was buried with stuff. And, wow. um, and and that's why weight gain is um, one of the negative impacts that comes with excess clutter because um, doesn't necessarily mean that the clutter is, you know, covering our workout equipment. But in some cases, that clutter is causing us to lose interest in things we once enjoyed, yeah, like I, working out, right? You know, it just really drains us. It's quite a defeating, isn't it? Just seeing all that stuff around you. And I guess it it sort of maybe makes people feel a bit helpless, like they're not managing. Exactly. Yes. Mm. Do you think that decluttering impacts how people consume going forward? For example, do you think they buy less stuff or they think more before they purchase? Mm -hmm. Yes, sometimes. Right. If there is a, uh, an, a shopping addiction attached to um, a client's behaviors, um, that may be more difficult sure. to address. But for the most part, I like to leave my clients with some habits to help them maintain the work that's been done yeah. so that consumption doesn't continue. So I like to recommend, have you ever heard of the one in one out rule? Yes, yes. Yes. So um, in order to maintain the status quo of all the work that they've done on what they own and, and not collect anymore, um, I'm not saying you can't buy anything ever again. But if you do, could you release something from that same category that you purchased an item from? So one shirt in, one shirt out, yeah. a book in, a book out, etc. And then you'll never have to worry about decluttering again because you'll always have the same amount of stuff. Yeah, oh, that's great advice, actually. So it's it's like you have to do this really hard job once and mm-hmm. then you just maintain. Ideally, that would be nice, yeah, right? Yeah, ideally, in an ideal world. <laughs> Some of the clutter we've been talking about has been things like clothes or things in your kitchen drawers, so physical things. Mm-hmm. Um, what about digital clutter? So can you describe to us what is meant by digital clutter and perhaps give us a few tips for dealing with that? Sure. 
So digital clutter is uh, the electronic version of tangible stuff in our space and life. Uh, it might come in the form of an email inbox that is overflowing, mm. uh, full storage use on your phone because of apps that you have or photos that you have stored there, desktop icons all over your screen. Um, it can even come in the form of, you know, uh, Facebook friends. You may have thousands of Facebook friends and you really don't know all these people. Yeah, That's yeah. clutter. That's digital clutter. So uh, like the physical clutter, uh, we did not acquire all of this overnight. So it needs to be done in small steps. So mm -hmm. you could commit to doing a little something every day to work towards having less. So, you know, deleting 50 emails each day unsubscribing as it comes up, yeah. unwanted newsletters, deleting yes. irrelevant contacts in your phone, work one letter at a time and try to tidy that up. Uh, work on deleting the unused apps on your phone. Yeah. Download folders, right? You know, maybe you can tidy that up because that takes up quite a bit of storage. And then when it comes to Facebook, you know, maybe you can unfollow or unfriend people that are no longer you feel connected to yeah yeah and keep it i guess more more real i suppose is right yes mm. that digital clutter is is much like the physical clutter in our lives and it, it really can consume us and become a distraction to us yes to be honest i think personally i struggle more with digital clutter than i do with physical clutter um i don't like it when my inbox you know there's so many emails and then they scroll down, you know, and you, you miss some. And, oh, I like to be able to see with my emails and the bottom of the um, inbox is clear so that I know exactly how much or how many are in there. So that's I my feel goal. The same way. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I do feel the same way. But, yeah, it's hard when you get, you know, hundreds of emails every single day. You know, clients that I work with, yeah, that's what they face every day. And it's a challenge. Yeah. Alongside decluttering, another thing that you do is you help people with their organisational skills. And again, I think for some people, it probably comes more naturally than it does for others. So perhaps you could give us a few quick tips on some basic ways for people to organise, to be organised. Sure. So um, let's see. I would... Once you've decluttered your space, I like recommending the use of containers to create a home for everything mm -hmm. to live, right? Um, it could really make the difference between finding it very quickly and putting it back where it belongs when you have a place that it lives. And a quick example that I'll give you is we struggled in this house years ago with the remote control, as I think a lot of people do in yeah, their home. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of the, the, the most frequently lost item or misplaced item in a home, uh, the remote control. But once we got a basket to hold our remote controls, because there were several, yeah. and we informed everyone and they got into the habit of putting it in the basket when they used it, we, we never lost it again, which was great. So creating that home with a, a container, home. right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, creating a home for things. That's a simple thing, isn't it, um, to do easy. and easy yeah. to do, but uh, such a hassle when you don't do it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, of course, there's instilling that habit. Um, once you've created this home, the habit needs to be instilled with everybody in the household, especially when you share the household with others. Yes. 
Um, but that comes with time. You have to be patient with that. Um, label, uh, labeling places where things go helps uh, everybody know where it goes. So yes. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, a label maker. Me too. <laughs> putting similar items together. Yes, I know. It, it can almost get a little obsessive. Yes. Um, putting similar items together is another great tip. You know, if you don't uh, instinctively categorize your items and group things together, um, you know, it could mean that you have multiples everywhere. You've got mugs here and then mugs here. Why don't you put them all together? Yes. Um, so put similar items together. Um, I also highly recommend, you know, at the end of the day or at least the end of the week, you know, anything that you've done in your home will become untidy. If it gets used, if it gets loved, your home is a place that you want to live in. Um, that messiness is going to happen, right? Yes. But if you schedule appointments with putting everything back the way it was, then um, that disorder, you can kind of keep that at bay. Yeah, so do it regularly rather than wait for a huge explosion of mess, which is going to take you a long time to tidy right. up. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then the last tip that I'll give you, because I think this is something I still practice today, is to always keep a bag or box for charity or donation. Yes, that's a great idea. So anything that you try on or any family member that's outgrown something or you don't like it anymore, it's suddenly become unused or unwanted, you can no, don't put it back. Don't put it back on the shelf. Don't put it back on the closet rod. Put it inside the donate bag. You make a decision right then and there that you no longer need this item and you're going to donate it to charity. That will also help maintain status quo of all the work that you've done to declutter. Yeah. Oh, that's a great tip. And you could just leave that bag perhaps inside your wardrobe or something and then when mm -hmm. it's full, off it goes. Mm -hmm. Sorry, my, my dog is barking. Hmm, Sandra and I do get a bit diverted here, introducing our dogs to each other via Zoom. And here is what she had to say about dogs. You know, I've, I've heard many people say, you know, when they see the life of dogs and how dogs are treated and how dogs behave, that, you know, it really is, it really is a great way to live. You know, yeah. like I think, for example, when Ray and I go for a walk, and I'm sure you see this with your dog too. They unconditionally want to meet other dogs. They do yes. a little sniffing and boom, they're friends. And do you know the other <laughs> thing I love about walking my dog is you have conversations with people that yes. if you were just walking by yourself without a dog, you would probably wouldn't even talk to those people. Okay, thank you for that little respite. <laughs> let us resume. Yes, let us resume. <laughs> Sandra, another important aspect of your business is helping people be more productive. Mm -hmm. So there are many factors to this. And of course, uh, we can't cover everything in one podcast episode. So I've picked a couple of common issues and I'd like to ask you about those. Sure. So first of all, distractions. There are so many things that compete for our attention. And we've mentioned emails and digital clutter. So what are some examples of distractions and how we can deal with them? Just maybe mm -hmm. a couple of examples. Okay. So um, let's do what's probably uh, the most predominant that I see, and that is our mobile phones yep. are a huge distraction. They are an incredible draw for us because there's so much that we do and we need on our phones. Uh, we are re very reactionary when it comes to our mobile phones. We stop what we're doing 
to look or answer or search every ring, ping, or ding. Mm. And as a result, that is a distraction and interrupts our workflow. And that makes us less productive, right? We really want to get into a flow of work without those interruptions. And the phone by far is probably the, the biggest draw because we consistently stop, react, and then go back to our work. Even if we don't do anything, you know, we may just feel it vibrate or we may hear it ping, but we've already set the wheels in motion by stopping our work to look. So some ways to combat that distraction is um, to to stop reacting and uh, be proactive, right? Um, Anticipate that it's going to happen and turn off notifications and put on the do not disturb button while you're doing that focused work. I'm not suggesting you do that all day. That's unreasonable, but you could certainly do it for 45 minutes. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You're not going to miss anything in 45 minutes. And then you can go back and check. And when you get into the habit of maybe scheduling time to check emails, texts and return phone calls rather than react, you're going to put yourself in a more productive work mode. Um, Another uh, solution to dealing with that reactionary mode of responding to our phone is to hide it. You know, it is an addictive device. We we can't help ourselves. And it's, it's by design. They've done this by design that we're addicted. So, you know, when you're on a diet, you hide the good stuff, you know, the ice cream, the chips, the chocolate, right? Uh, So do the same with your phone, just put it in a drawer and get it out of sight. So the other thing that I did for myself that was really telling and um, eye-opening is I increased my awareness of how much I was using my phone. And that was a shock. You know, if you've never done this before, you open up your screen activity and your settings of your phone and you see how how much time you're spending on your phone every day and it will really... It was really an eye opener for me anyway. And and I made a conscientious choice to use it less, open it less. And you can also see where you're spending your time. It actually divides out which apps you are drawing your attention. And if there are apps on your phone, whether it's Facebook or Snapchat or Amazon, whatever that may be, that is drawing your attention and you still can't disconnect, remove those apps. I mean, that's a drastic move. You're not deleting your account. You're just making it less accessible for you to be drawn to react. Yeah. Oh, that's really good advice. I must admit, I haven't done that. I haven't Mm -hmm. checked how much I use my phone, partly because I don't really want to know, (laughs) (laughs) which is not good. No, Um, no. So you probably probably know the answer on the other side. Yeah, I think I do. when you see the numbers, it's pretty alarming. I was also, I was going to ask you, have you read Stolen Focus by Johan Hari? I have not. No, because he does talk about distractions and things that steal our focus. And some of the solutions <laughs> that you've posed are things that he has also said in his book. So what you say is 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 backed up by someone who's done quite a lot of research in this area. You know, it's a book that you might be interested in reading well, yeah, you probably already you. know. <laughs> no, I, I yeah. no, I'm I'm always interested in learning more. Um, mm. Yeah, this is this is a constant journey of learning. So, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. The other 
thing I thought would be really useful that I know that people struggle with and including myself and that is procrastination so (laughs) what is it why do we do it some tips on overcoming it yeah so uh like distractions this has lots of layers um uh, procrastination is uh, avoiding a task you know we're delaying it we're putting it off and we have to do it and I learned a lot about procrastination with my own journey through mm-hmm. procrastination. I was uh, trying to, um, I had a goal of writing a book um, a certain year, 2017, and I just kept putting it off. And I thought, you know what? I am a professional organizer. I'm a productivity person. This should not be happening to me. Like, why is this happening to me? Yeah. Like, this should be something I'm exempt from, this behavior. But everybody does it. We all do it. And um, what I learned was that it's not laziness and it's not poor time management. It's really just brain science is is actually the root cause, right? Mm-hmm. Our the, the prefrontal cortex of our brain is our planner. It's our rational thinker. That's where our executive functions are. And it is telling us that we need to do this. You need to work on your book. And then the limbic system of our brain, which is the pleasure center, that's the fun stuff, is saying, nah, let's just watch another episode of The Crown. (laughs) Right? You know, so they're in conflict with each other. Those parts of our brain are in conflict with each other. And when it comes to uh, understanding procrastination, I think it's important to get a sense of why we may be procrastinating. Mm. You know, there's lots of reasons why we do it. You know, we may not be motivated. We may not have all the tools that we need to get this project done. So we're putting it off, or we may be unclear on the objectives of the project. So we're putting it off. We may be putting off a task because we just don't have the energy to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't have the right attitude. Uh, we may be um, afraid to get it started because we're afraid we're going to fail. You know, there's that perfectionist mindset. Yes. We may also um, be distracted. Distraction is a form of procrastination too. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So how? And then we did, also. Made, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to ask you. So, what did you do when it came to your book? How did you stop procrastinating and get yourself mm-hmm. to do it? Right. So I set appointments with myself to work on it, mm-hmm. uh, and then I also established what was the best time of day for me to tackle this task? That's kind of the motivation piece. And morning is my best time to do any kind of cognitive work. So I scheduled dates over the course of one full year to work. There were appointments with myself, something that I know I would keep. I am very task oriented in that way. When I put it in my calendar or gets on a list, I will follow through with it. And, uh, and I think that's true of a, a lot of people, you know, that you commit, you go a little further to commit to something rather than just saying, yes, you're going to do it or the ideas in your head. Once you get it down externally, either in a calendar on your phone or a paper planner or your agenda or written planner, um, your likelihood to follow through with it increases even a little bit. So that's what I did. I recognized the fact that morning time was the best time to do this writing work. And then I scheduled days over the course of an entire year that I was going to do this work. And and I did it. 
and it got done. And I wouldn't have known to do that. I think I would have been continuing to struggle if I didn't recognize what I could look for in terms of my own procrastination. So, for example, with that system, I really like the sound of that. Then say a friend rings you up and you haven't seen them for a while and you really want to Mm -hmm. catch up with them and they say, oh, let's have coffee at 10 o'clock tomorrow, but that's the time you've scheduled your appointment with yourself to write. What -hmm. would you do then? Yes, I would work, I again, you know, unless it's an emergency of some kind, I would work around my bookwork. I've committed to that. And, you know, it's, it's centering yourself on the end goal. And if that's that important to you, then your friend can maybe get rescheduled for another day sure. or you move your book work earlier in the day, right? Uh, or whatever that work is that you mm. keep putting off. You know, maybe there there can be some juggling, but um, the goal is to stay as focused as you can on yeah. keeping that appointment with yourself, particularly um, if it's an important goal. I really like the sound of that because I find it's, for me, it's easy to sort of shift things around. Like someone will say, oh, let's do this or let's do that. And I think, oh, yes, well, I don't want to disappoint them or whatever. So I'll do that and I'll do my own and and then push my own thing down to later Mm -hmm. in the day when you're less motivated and you're a bit tired and then it doesn't get done. I like that idea, like making appointments with yourself. You've mentioned your book. Is this the one, Ask the Organizer? Is that the one you were talking about? That's correct. Yes. And it's a bestseller on Amazon, which is fantastic. So congratulations. So tell us a bit about the book and who the intended audience is. It is written in the same way that I like to teach others to organize. Um, It's a question and answer format. So it's working on one organization task at a time. So you're not overwhelmed by everything Mm -hmm. and it's categorized by areas of the home. So the kitchen and each Q&A is areas of the kitchen, the junk drawer and, uh, you know, overloaded coffee mugs, etc. So you could tackle each area of your home one little step at a time. And the book is written for anybody that wants to work in those small steps and wants to get organization in their home, office or life. I focus on all three of those areas. Oh, right. So it's not just the home, it's your life as well. So what kind of things uh, or what chapters or checklists or whatever do you have about life? Um, They focus around our time. Mm -hmm. Where are we spending our time? You know, for example, uh, an overloaded calendar um, and no free time for yourself or time with family where you want to be may be an opportunity to learn to say no to certain things so that you can say yes to what you really want to do. So that kind of falls under the category of life. And it it sounds to me also like it's helping people sort out their priorities in in their lives, which is important as well. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And so you do offer a lot at organization lane you don't it's more than just decluttering and um, helping people become more organized and productive we haven't covered everything in this podcast perhaps you could tell us just about some of the other things that you do um, or that you offer certainly so your listeners can visit my website and subscribe to my monthly productivity blog and 
uh, on the website under the resources tab. I've got some checklists that are free to download to help organize areas of your life. Um, anyone in a corporation or meeting planners that are interested in having me speak, mm-hmm. I have topics that are related to not only office organization, but productivity and time management. That's great. I've actually downloaded some of your um, your checklists. And I've downloaded the Change Your Life Challenge, and you've just got a list of some small things that people can do to make little changes in their lives. One of them is delete 50 unnecessary emails from your inbox. <laughs> so you've, you talked about right. that before. Send a handwritten note to someone to say hello. That's gorgeous. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, the subject of a blog post that I did. I think it was this year. And uh, I thought, you know, this is nice for people to have on a regular basis. And it's a nice refresher, you know, to do every year, I think. Yeah. And they're easy tasks. You know, there's nothing that's difficult in that task. Each day, try something. Yeah, I think I really like that. It's time to wrap up this wonderful discussion. So thank you. But I just wanted to ask you before um, we, we wrap up, you completed a race called Tough Mudder. So well done. That's thank fantastic. You. Are, you familiar with that? Are you familiar with Tough Mudder? Well, I am, but you can tell our listeners what it is. I haven't sure. done one, but I know what they are. Yeah. Well, first of all, it was it was a, a while ago. I was 40 at the time. Um, and for those of you who don't know, it is a um, an event that is anywhere between 8 to 12 miles in length. And uh, along the route, the running route, uh, is uh, there are obstacles, 20 or more obstacles that test your agility, your athletic ability, and your fear and stamina. And uh, it was unlike anything I'd ever done before because I've, I've raced competitively before uh, in biathlons and little mini triathlons and running races. You, it's you against other people in the race. But in a tough mutter, what's unique about it is that you can't complete this event without the help of others that are in the event as well. You know, you need that little push to get over the wall or you need that pull to get you up over the wall. And they're encouraging you. Everybody in the race is encouraging each other. You, you, it it epitomizes what the races, um, the uh, the origins of the race are around the armed services and, and, and that brotherhood and camaraderie that you see in the armed services is what this race is the epitome of, in my opinion. You know, no man is left behind, right? That's yeah. the whole principle behind oh, it. that's really so you, interesting. It is. It's very, very interesting. It was grueling. I would never consider doing it now at my age, but it was a fun bucket list item at the time. And were your kids proud of you when you finished? They were, but you know what? They were not present, so they didn't actually get to see how grueling it was. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, they were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that does sound, it sounds hard, but it also sounds like fun. The final question, and I like to ask this of all of my guests, is if you could recommend two things that um, people could do to improve their well-being, they could be anything mm-hmm. at all, what would they be? I would say to search within yourself to find what living with less looks like for you. I think it's different for everyone. Find what makes you happy and embrace that. Mm -hmm. 
And the other principle I would share would be to prioritize sleep. I think it is the most underrated self-care principle, but one of the most important in terms of our function, our happiness, and our productivity. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that one. It is so important, and it's something we can all do, and it's free. (laughs) It is, and I'm sure you're headed for sleep after this call. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I will be. And so what's the best way for people to follow you or have a look at your website? Where can they contact you? Organizationlane.com is the website and everything is on there. Any other platforms that I am present on is right on the website. Fantastic. It's all there. Yes. That's brilliant. You can get my book there, my Facebook link, my LinkedIn link is on there. The TED Talk is on there. It's all there. Brilliant. Um, and I will put a, um, an independent link as well to the TED Talk because it's so entertaining. I really, really enjoyed that. So thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you today and thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you, Amanda. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with professional organiser and productivity expert Sandra Lane. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is still one of the best ways for people to find out about Vibrant Lives podcast. So I'd be so grateful if you would help spread the word. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast, on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast. And you can visit my website at vibrantlivespodcast.com. There you'll find a library of all my previous podcast episodes and reviews of books that I recommend. You can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter where I keep you up to date with health and wellbeing news. Please DM me or send me an email via the contacts page on my website and let me know what you'd like to hear more of or if you have a suggestion for an interview or simply would just like to say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Next week, we'll be hearing from Robin McLean, founder of Hello Period, the world's first sustainable period company. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that episode with you. This podcast is recorded on ancient Ghana land. I acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of this land and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Thank you so much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well, live vibrantly.